Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. You can walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. Come down to Anfield and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you surely man? It's Monday's Irish Times, second Gavin's football podcast. Oh, my Devin here with Ken Hurley. How you doing, Owen? Not doing badly at all, Ken. We're going to reflect on Manchester United's 3-0 win against Liverpool United on the way to a challenge for the title and the Brendan Rodgers era Liverpool limping towards an inevitable grim closure towards the end of this season. Or at least that's... Very definitive, That's Owen. how you'd read the scoreline, Ken. I'm still not convinced. Well, I'm not convinced about the first part of that. The first part of, uh, of the Manchester United... Yeah, Manchester United romping towards a, towards a challenge for the league title here. Well, six wins in a row. Yeah. Third in the, the table. If they win all the rest of their games, then they, they'll probably have a, a chance of winning the league title. But short well, of that, I'd be surprised. Well, the league title, I mean, you never know. Maybe maybe Manchester United are suddenly, are suddenly well-placed. Maybe they're, they're in a kind of similar position to what Liverpool were in this time last year. You know, having um, got themselves... Into a into a decent uh, decent position over Christmas. I mean, remember Liverpool had lost to lost to Chelsea and Manchester City over Christmas, and it looked as though, well, that's that they're going to finish fifth. Mm-hmm. And then they went on this uh, incredible run, um, and obviously Manchester United benefit from the from the rest, as uh, as everybody said Liverpool did last season. So why not? I mean, Chelsea have to fight on two fronts. Chelsea. And Manchester City have to have got big uh, European games that they're going to have to uh, devote some time and resources to. So maybe Manchester United Sydney. I'll tell you when I can. I'll tell you who wrote it. Okay. Well, I just—it's all part of this um, this overpraise of Louis Van Gaal. Even, even, even this has been being your bonnet since the start. On I just thought everyone you was a little too ready to. He's to, a great man. Assume this guy's greatness. Uh, the best coach in, in the world, according to himself. Uh, I'll give you an example yesterday, right? Okay. He, he brings on Paddy McNair at the end of the game. Oh, well, I mean, I thought that was a masterly touch from, <laughs> yeah. from the Dutch master. A, a fatherly touch, having, um, you know, having let him off, t- taken him off before halftime in their last game. Hmm. Okay, that might have seemed cruel and callous. Hmm. But, you know, they, 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 one, just because one guy strayed from the flock, yeah. one sheep, doesn't a mean you can't bring that, bring that little defender sheep back in and... Pet his little fur by. Uh, it was like as a managerial. Um, but that sorry, that point was raised. Just in case people are wondering what the hell I'm talking about, uh, it certainly was raised in, in commentary on Sky yesterday. It was like, oh, he pretty much he punished him, substituted him last time, but now he's showing that uh, Louis van Gaal's a family man. Is what was said. He's a family man. Yeah. Never understand. Never understand what makes one person more of a family man than somebody else. It's mentioned a lot in van Gaal's case. I mean, he's yeah. happily married with kids. I mean, a lot of people are family men, but he he's a family man. He understands what what parenting's all about. And this is like being a father. He's allowing, he's bringing this guy back in for two minutes of this match just to give him a taste. I would have thought if he was really, really wanting to be a lovely man, lovely father, lovely father figure, he would have thrown him in from the start. But there's another. Well, that, maybe that would have been asking too much. I mean, Paddy McNair is like a, you've got to learn to crawl before you can walk. And right now, Paddy McNair is lying on his back gurgling. <laughs> you know, in in the Manchester United pantheon, uh, he's still a very minor figure. He may only be a spider lurking, uh, you know, in one of the recesses, as opposed to an actual 
you know, statue of a, of a Manchester United, a, a great. I mean, but if we're to take yesterday's uh, Manchester United victory as a managerial, you know, as a managerial tour de force, mm-hmm. it reminded me of uh, Vermeer's Girl with a, pe- a Pearl Earring. Uh, you know, one of those uh, 17th century Dutch classics. Um, and maybe the, um, maybe you could say the substitution, the late introduction of Paddy McNair was like um, the way in which Vermeer just depicts the light shining on, on the pearl earring. I mean, it's such a small detail, but it really brings the painting to life. And so, yeah, I'm that, just having a look over your shoulder there, Ken. Oh, yeah. Look at that. See, see the way the little glint of light is there on the pearl earring? Mm. Now, a lot of people wouldn't even notice that the first time they look at it, but it subconsciously registers on. That's a, a detail that's been left there by a master for a reason. And, uh, and I suppose that's what Louis van Gaal has done with that substitution. <laughs> um, you know, Mata, Rooney and Van Persie all scoring for the first time in the same game. All of them, well, apart from Van Persie, playing pretty much random positions in the team. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, Van Persie gets a goal and an assist. He, he boasts afterwards. Was there not something a little Thierry Henry-like about Robin Van Persie after the game? Have you, did you see him? No. I swear, i got to be honest, kind of after, straight after I switched on to the Munster Claremont game. Well, but I shouldn't say that in the middle of our football podcast. He is, I don't know if Robin Van Persie is the most sincere man in English football, you know? I think he's a, he's a bit of a smile and smile type. He he was he was obviously delighted afterwards. Why wouldn't it be? He he bagged a goal. He boasted that he'd also got an assist, <laughs> even though that would have made the goal offside. But, <laughs> yeah. You know that's it's fine. It's Manchester United's day. Uh, I, actually, I saw quite a lot of the uh, the reports afterwards said, sure the goal was off, offside, but that did not excuse Liverpool's sloppy defensive line and failure to put in a challenge. <laughs> and you can, well, actually, it did. Uh, I mean, they defended the situation, uh, you know, in legal terms. I mean, uh, the goal was not going to be given if the officials had done their job. Sure, they didn't manage to stop Van Persie, Van Persie putting a header in, but he didn't head it into the net. He headed it to a teammate we'll who was offside. The, yeah, we'll get into this in Ken Early's report on sport. Because I will. I, I tweeted about that at the time. For, firstly, I thought it did look like a... A flick header. It certainly, of course it did. It was uh, obvious. With, with the naked eye, you know, without the first replay. That's fine. That happened. He's kind of thinking, hang on, Van Persie flicked that on, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Then the first replay shows very clearly that he did. Gary Neville doesn't notice. Then the second replay shows even more clearly that he, that he certainly did. Uh, Gary Neville still, still doesn't notice. And eventually it's like, oh, well, that's... Uh, I think the commentator had to say that's, it that's was the third, outside it was there. After the third replay, Martin Tyler said, surely he's offside. At, at which point Gary Neville... So it sounded almost as though he'd, he'd somehow been aware of it all along, but was only now, oh, yeah, oh, oh he is indeed, actually. Yeah. I mean, I was wondering when he was going to see it. But, you know, I suppose it goes to show that even the, uh, even the greatest football minds can only see 90% of the game uh, at times. Somebody responded to my tweet saying that Gary Neville shouldn't be allowed to commentate on Manchester United games. I, think, I don't know how, how well his career would go with Sky if he was excluded from those games. Yeah. And I, I presume Jamie Carragher has to be allowed to commentate in Liverpool games or else you're, you're really getting into a situation where hmm, there will be no football <laughs> pundits if the allegiances <laughs> to clubs aren't allowed. Carragher's a bit different though in that, I mean, I'm not, I don't, in, I don't that think, in that he slates Liverpool every week. He really does. Yeah. But although he doesn't slate everybody at Liverpool, I mean, so you can see a bit of the same pattern. I mean, for instance, I saw I thought Neville was being a bit harsh on Philip uh, Coutinho, who I thought had, was playing reasonably well. Then he missed uh, Rooney for the goal. He let Rooney go, and something that Brendan Rodgers said afterwards again, he, it's unforgivable. I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those situations where the teams lost three nil. Everybody's played a part in that you know what I mean um, is it is it really right to pick out an individual for a mistake when he actually did a lot of you know was probably your best player otherwise um, I'm not sure I mean if you were going to really start pointing the finger for mistakes Brendan Rodgers has been doing a lot of finger pointing he would have been doing uh, Jamie Carragher isn't afraid to point fingers although it usually seems to be at Martin Skirtle I can't help but feel they mustn't have got on that well together when they were when they were He's been doing this his whole career, Rogers will say, as, as they show Skirtle making some kind of a cock-up. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Uh, but look, I mean, Van Hal afterwards, I was, I was struck by how um, how sort of dour his reaction was to the victory. Uh, and everyone was saying, look, you know, this is, you, you know, this is a big moment and fans are all celebrating and, you know, it's a great win. And he just wasn't impressed at all. Mm. So I'm happy with the result. I'm not happy with the performance. We gave the ball away. I'm going to ask the players, why? So that's probably what's happening to the Manchester United players right now. They're standing in a circle at the Manchester United training ground with their arms folded, each one of them probably staring down at the boots. And Louis van Gaal is standing in the middle of the circle going, why are you guys such idiots? Why did you give, why did you give the ball away? You, why did you give the ball away? Fellaini, call that a first touch? I don't know exactly how Louis van Gaal does these things. Um, but it seems as though uh, more is required from them. Uh, and it struck me how different that was from um, the time how Brendan Rodgers reacted to Liverpool's one good result of the season when they beat Tottenham 3-0 away, in which he talked about, um, essentially it seemed as though it, it was like the second coming of Christ at White Hart Lane, you know, had come down and played Spurs off the park. And then he even, he, he was in such a good mood that he even had time to ruffle Maurizio Pochettino's head and say, he'll do a great job here. He just needs time. He just needs time to bring in his, his philosophy. But, you know, I mean, there's, you know, people, there's, there's been lots of reasons to criticize Brendan Rodgers. And actually, the game yesterday wasn't really bad by, by his sense. I thought the way that the team that he chose, the approach that he took was, was quite sensible. Was it, well, I thought it was, sens- it was a little bit loose, I thought, on both sides. It was a strange sort of game in that. In that- I know it's difficult to ascertain 100% what, what both teams are going for. I don't think either of them look particularly comfortable in what they were doing. This has been a, a feature of Manchester United season all year long. There is a certain ambition in what Van Hal wants them to do. For example, play the ball out from the back. Unfortunately, they're not very good at that. And yeah. that, that created a, that, a, a crisis of confidence in their own defence. Liverpool, you know, they, they didn't have a striker, but then their strikers haven't exactly been ripping it up either, so... Um, yeah, Van Hal. Uh, I mean, he's got a vision, he, which he talks about ceaselessly, and, and that was his uh, his biography was was biography and vision was the name of his uh, apparently extremely pompous book. And um, I suppose he's like you know he's like a, a sort of a 16th century Dutch miller. <laughs> quite quite the analogy. Uh... Well, look, he's a great he's a great Dutchman, right? And if you're going to talk about if you're going to make comparisons to the Dutch, you're going to have to go back to the 16th and 17th century. We're talking about Van Hal here. They were the glory years, and it's he's like he you know he's been grinding the, the wheat by flour, but he, what he wants is to grind the wheat using a win uh, grinding the wheat by flour, uh, grinding grinding it by hand. Oh yeah. But he, what he wants is to build a mighty windmill, which will tower over the landscape. Um, and strike awe into the local peasantry. Um, but it's a pretty large and complex piece of machinery, and the parts that he's using to build it keep breaking, and he keeps having to sort of try and buy really expensive new parts. But he knows he's going to get there. He's got an idea in mind of what he wants, and even though everyone thinks he's crazy, he's going to get there in the end. Yeah. And the, the windmill will stand tall over the... Where's, over the where's Paddy McNair in this windmill analogy? Um, Anywhere to be seen? I haven't worked out where Paddy McNair, <laughs> Paddy McNair fits in. He's like in the in this Peter Bruegel painting. He's uh, you know Paddy McNair is a, is a fat faced uh, cherubic child. Um, he's you know that game that children play in those photos where they've got a stick and a hoop. Yeah, he's got a hoop and he's and he's running around after it with a stick. You know, okay. and that's essentially as long as he's there. As long as Paddy McNair is there. Oh, he's there. I mean, that's the detail of these paintings. You know. It's, there's loads of people in them, and even when you look down to the smallest detail, something's going on. Uh, so that's that's the way that Louis Van Gaal sees it. Whereas Brendan Rodgers, I'm not quite sure. I mean, there's been a lot of blue sky thinking going on at Liverpool uh, in recent times, but it seems as though a, a unified, grand strategy is yet to emerge. Um, and what's what's notable is the is the way in which, as the results have been sort of almost the opposite of last season. Everything that Rogers has been saying is, seems to be the opposite as well. Yeah, so I remember Mourinho this time last year saying, saying, uh, yeah, you know, Liverpool, they might win the league because they've got all that holiday time. You know, they're just essentially on holidays every week. You know, when you go on holidays and you, you feel tanned, refreshed, relaxed, that's Liverpool 
every week while we at Chelsea have to go off into Eastern Europe and, uh, and fight and fight and fight and uh, come back with Champions League points. And then we've got to go and play uh, in the Premier League and it's constant battle for Chelsea. We're battle-weary. Whereas these Liverpool guys are just uh, every, every week and Brendan's got lots of time to work. And, and Mourinho, uh, Rogers said, ah, I know all the games. Don't worry, I know all the games. Jose's games. I was familiar with that uh, uh, from working with Jose. I worked with Jose. He gave me the confidence and self-esteem I needed to reach this point in the game. This is what he's saying. So it was mind games. Rogers is now playing those mind games against himself. He's now saying that all the time. He's saying, uh, the problem is, this is a quote from Rogers. The difficulty has been that I have had no coaching time because of the demands of the Champions League. Yeah, yeah I heard him say that. That's crazy. Well, do you want that's to work at a Champions League yeah. club or not? Yeah. You know, because if that's if you're telling everyone that you can't do your job properly because you're working in the I Champions League. I think he was saying League. that in the context of... I've got all these new guys I have to coach. Well, uh, that's another thing that he's talked about. Yeah, and he's flip-flopping that a little bit as well. I oh, saw totally. Dion writing yesterday that uh, before the season started, no, it's, we're not starting a new project. It's, you, know, you, you, just, you just take out your Suarez and you stick in a, a uh, Lalana or a, uh, whoever it might be, and, uh, and off you go. And now he's saying, well, yes, we are starting again. It's a different club. This is, they, they asked him last, last uh, August, Brendan, aren't you a bit worried? We, I mean, everyone was talking about this at the time. That what happened to Tottenham might happen here. They sell their great player to Spanish mega club, buy a load of players, and then suddenly no one has any idea what to do with the players. Yep. And it's a bit of a it's a it's a bit of a disaster. Uh, no, no, it's a different club. It's a different vision that we have here at Liverpool. There's a strategy behind what we're doing. So this is why it's different from Tottenham. Tottenham evidently have a different vision, no strategy. He says uh, we're talking a lot last season with the recruitment team. Uh, talking about how we're going to improve the depth of our squad. The players we're bringing in have a clear profile in terms of where we want them to play and what their role is. And we see them as young players who can redevelop as well. This is what Roger's saying in, in August, you know. Now he's saying uh, that the problem is that I've brought in a lot of new players who didn't know how... This is what he was saying the other, the other week when he was talking about how he'd had to become autocratic again. He was he had been democratic, but now he's become autocratic. He'd been somewhat autocratic, then he became democratic. Then he became democratic, and then even educational. <laughs> yeah. And then, then, then he became autocratic again. And he says, the problem was I brought in a lot of new players who didn't know how I worked. They didn't get it. Right? So these are the guys with a clear profile, blah, 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 blah. And they actually, it turns out they're clueless. So Liverpool are in the position, as Tottenham were, of a, you know, a snake who's tried to swallow a grand piano and is now having a lot of difficulty digesting it. You know, we've seen the miraculous ability of the snake to get its jaws around this thing. But is it going to be able to ultimately absorb and integrate what, what it's swallowed? Or has it bitten off more than it can, not chew in a sense, because they don't chew, but digest, integrate? Uh, so it's a, it looks like a very similar situation to Tottenham. And if you remember what happened at Tottenham, what happened there was, was quite clear. Essentially, Andre Villas-Boas pretty much announced... I can't do anything with these guys. I mean, he said in a press conference, remember that things have got really fractious with the press there. And I and we talked about it at the time, and I think some of the things that happened with Villas-Boas were definitely unfair. As in, I think, you know, there were maybe some... He was dealing with maybe a lot of the same press that he had previously dealt with at Chelsea. Uh, so he wasn't... He didn't get off... When he started, there was already some, pre, some history there, which, which mm. didn't necessarily work in his favour. Uh, and he got rattled in a couple of press conferences. Remember, he got angry with what, you know, you attack, you attack me, you attack my professionalism, you attack people's human values, all this kind of stuff. But then there was the terminal press conference for Villas Boas was where he kind of said, look, I didn't sign any of these guys. You know, I mean, you, you have to ask the guy who signed these dudes, you know, what am I supposed to do with them? Which, even though I've, I've, I've had felt sorry for him at the time and felt he wasn't really getting a fair crack at it, that made his position untenable. If he's announcing, I can't do it with these guys, then Tottenham really didn't have any choice other than to go and find someone who thought he could. You know what I mean? And I feel that Rodgers has actually started to skirt dangerously close to that territory in recent times. He started talking about the club as though it had nothing to do with him. You know, he, he talks about the club in this sort of sense of, well, you know, who knows what the club is going to say about that. You know, do you remember in The Wire, uh, you know, uh, David Simon's whole idea in The Wire was, um, was, to, was to create a drama in which the lives of these human beings played out were, were actually dictated by almost higher forces, as in a Greek 
tragedy where the gods are sort of have preordained what's going to happen. And that David Simon wanted to show a world in which something like this um, was happening with the kind of institutions that the people work for, the police or the schools or, you know, the government. Newspapers or whatever it might be. Taking the place of these Olympian gods who sort of determine the uh, the outcome of their lives with some sort of inevitability. Rogers has almost st- started talking about the club as, as a kind of an entity like that. But, I mean, he's the manager. You know, he's he's supposed to be the guy who's who's making these... Uh, who's making these decisions, who's who's running these things. All right, we're going to get back on to Liverpool and United. Just the Champions League draw has been made today for those who haven't heard it. Yeah, it's Paris Saint-Germain against Chelsea. Uh, Jose Mourinho won't, won't be happy with that um, because it's the same draw as last season. I mean, Chelsea knocked them out, but only after losing the first leg and Paris uh, Saint-Germain a year further down the road, it's always a bit awkward to have to beat the same opponent twice in a row. And that's also, I think, why Manchester City or why Barcelona are going to be unhappy with their draw, which has put them again against Manchester City. They knocked Manchester City out last season, and now they're going to have to do it again. The last time they benefited from a red card and a penalty in the first leg um, and took it from there. Uh, this time, I think it might be a, a bit more difficult for them. Bayern Leverkusen, Atletico Madrid, Juve, Borussia Dortmund, Schalke, Real Madrid is a simple one for Real Madrid. And again, a repeat of last season, but not one I think they're going to be too worried about. Shakhtar against Bayern Munich, Arsenal against Monaco. Arsene Wenger gets some luck in this at last. That's the one that he said he wanted. He's got great memories of Monaco. He's looking forward to going back there. At least it's not going to be Real Madrid or Barcelona or one of those guys again. And Basel against Porto is the last draw. That's the end of Kennedy's report on sport. Reluctantly crouched at the starting line. How are you, lads? Engines pumping and thumping in time. I had a couple of experience of international tournaments. The green light flashes, the flags go up. So we were confined to a hotel with nothing to do. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They Back then, we had no mobiles. There was nothing there watching. There was no laptops, no internet, no Facebook, Twitter, none of that back then. To ring home, you had to queue up for ages with a big water cash. But there was one afternoon, there were seven of us in a bedroom. I'm not going to name any names, right? And there was... Suggestion by someone. I don't know how to phrase this, but when we have a competition where how to phrase it, we pleasure ourselves. We pleasure ourselves. We pleasure ourselves. Fella who can who can who can maybe complete the job first is the winner. We pleasure ourselves. And I swear to God that myself and another fella left. Five lads um, competed with one another. We pleasure ourselves. And there was a couple of golf putters there, so we just put a ball up and down all day long, trying to hit a Ribena ball. John Bruin was at Old Trafford for ESPN and joins us now. John, a 3-0 victory for Manchester United. Are United now three goals a better team than Liverpool? It's, do you know what? That game was so weird that I, I, I don't think I could answer that question. Um, well, I, I suppose what, one thing you would say is that they have the strikers that can actually score those three goals. Um... But and also at the other end they have the goalkeeper that can stop Liverpool scoring any. Um, that's pretty much the, the equation that you draw the result from. The rest of the game was distinctly odd in that, uh, certainly for the first half, midfield I just could not work out what was going on with just about all of the players involved in it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Rooney was in midfield and looked a little bit lost and he was better in the second half. Fellaini was terrible in the first half, but then improved. Uh, I thought Philip Coutinho actually had a good game throughout, uh, but never quite got the support of his colleagues. Steven Gerrard, I've seen him get criticised, actually. I didn't think he was as bad as some people have made out. But with all of that, it's very difficult to draw conclusions about what was actually going on there. Um, The real action, of course, was at either end of the field. Yeah, well, although there is, I mean, just what you've been saying there leads me to ask, probably someone we, we mightn't have mentioned otherwise because he only made it to half time. but Adam Lallana, was he really so atrocious as to demand withdrawal uh, at half time, which is obviously usually pretty embarrassing for a player, especially when you're the most expensive player in the, in the squad? Well, yeah, I don't think he was that bad either. The problem with Adam Lallana for Liverpool so far is... I've seen, him, I've seen him play quite often for them and I don't think he's ever lasted the 90 minutes if when he has played. Um, and he has these touches that you think, you can see why he was such a valued player. Now, I think the quote was, wasn't it, that Brendan Rodgers said he was a great young player 
and actually he's older than Sergio Aguero or somebody like that. Um, and I was actually at the game yesterday, I was sat with somebody who knows Adam Lallana quite well and it's just not happening for him at Liverpool. Uh, they haven't found a position for him. At Southampton, I recall him playing a lot deeper for them, playing a, a role in which he helped dictate the pace a bit more. Liverpool seems to maroon him out on the left to cut inside. Uh, he's not. Ha- it, I don't know. It really isn't happening for him. I just don't understand when Brendan Rodgers and the transfer committee bought him what they meant for Adam Lallana to do. Uh, at the time, I actually thought that because of the the, the the vigour with which he played for Southampton, he could actually be a Steven Gerrard replacement. Um, but instead, we've, we've seen a player who seems to lack a bit of physical strength and also is failing to impose himself on matches. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, Liverpool really didn't impose themselves up front at all or in an attacking context, well, certainly in a finishing context. I mean, they created those chances, uh, Sterling in particular having a, a load of them. This ties in with the argument that Liverpool's performance wasn't it wasn't as though it was markedly inferior to Manchester United's, but they didn't seem to have any any of the same kind of conviction in the attacking third. No, no. I mean, I, I actually had a, 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 some sympathy with Brendan Rodgers in that he was saying that his team played well. Where you have to lose a bit of sympathy is, you can't put... I mean, Raheem Sterling, I think that game for him, I'd worry about the consequences it might have on Raheem Sterling because that's a game in which he fluffed his lines pretty badly. Um, the responsibility placed on him was great, possibly too great. It certainly seems so on the evidence of that. And when in, there was, I think in the first half, there was two chances that he had down uh, what would be his left-hand channel uh, in a position where Phil Jones seemed to not want to be, uh, in which he, t- he took on De Gea, and De Gea took, uh, you know, pretty much, as happened later, psyched him out. Um, Sterling, in that game, or from that game, is probably going to have to deal with the idea that he's not a great finisher. Um, but to place somebody who I'd say is five foot six, just twenty years old, as your lead front man against Manchester United, no matter what state Manchester United might be in defensively, that's a hell of a risk to take, especially with a player who is still finding his way in the game. Well, is there an argument that it might be it might bring a, a welcome dose of reality into the negotiations they're currently having with the Raheem Sterling's agents, who seem to think their man should already be on? Well, I don't know if Sergio Aguero money is is what we're talking about here, but you know, certainly yes, yeah, something close to a hundred grand a week. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose if you look at Sterling's career at, at Liverpool, um, there was the first season when he was a seventeen-year-old where. He was sensational for the first three months of the season, only to disappear. Um, you look at last season where he didn't really appear until December and was possibly behind Suarez, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the prong of, of their push towards a title. This season, certainly some diminishing returns. Um, yeah, I mean, Liverpool <laughs> have a bargaining chip because of maybe yesterday's performance, but I'm not sure that's what Brendan Rodgers meant. In fact, almost certainly not. Um, Sterling, are, are we in a position where he's beginning to look a little bit overhyped and because of Liverpool's current situation, they're looking for somebody to lead them out of it and the fact might be that Sterling isn't quite the player to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous to, to expect a 20-year-old uh, to be able to... I mean, he's doing pretty well to be to have got to the level he's at, yeah. um, at at the stage of his career that he's at. Um, I mean, it, Brendan Rodgers, I mean, the, the the whole idea of playing him up front, I must say it didn't seem like a bad one to me. If you haven't got any good strikers, then, you know, there's no point in really, in, in really playing a guy who's, who's, who's not great. That's what Rodgers even said before the game. He said, look, I'm not exactly taking a hat full of goals away from the team here, which I didn't <laughs> think was a great endorsement of all the strikers. But, I mean, that's that's true. Maybe Brendan Rodgers' commentary on his on his team has become a little more insightful, maybe, as he's become embattled. I mean, he's giving away things now like... Uh, we have to recapture the team ethos, which of course implies that the team ethos has, has somehow gone missing. Um, he's talking about in every dressing room there have always been issues, uh, but it's not something I discuss outside the dressing room, which seems to be an acceptance that there's issues in his dressing room. Um, what do you make? Of, what do you make of all this uh, from from Rogers? Well, I was there when he was asked those questions. I think what happened there is it he's pretty much being asked 
if there is a big problem and he's trying to head it off by saying well everybody has problems um and trying to it's clear that that certain uh writers reporters think that they've got some kind of, they've got some kind of story about what's going on at Liverpool Rodgers is trying to play that down in what he says by giving them a little bit of information but obviously he can't go um too far in that I mean, actually, just thinking about the strikers, I think Liverpool have looked most effective up front when he whacked Martin Skirtle up front towards the end of the Basel game. Um, he's got a personnel problem, hasn't he? Um, it, 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 and I suppose the greatest issue is that Rodgers, uh, despite uh, this mysterious transfer committee, has to take responsibility for the squad that's been assembled. Well, this is this is all of... I mean... The, the transfer committee thing. The transfer committee at Liverpool are remind me a bit of the elders of Zion, uh, in that they're this they're shadowy sort of um, body. Nobody's quite sure, you know, who they are or who's you know who's got the power or what their agenda is, um, and all the bad things in the world are blamed on them. But because they don't consist of any real, you know, th- there's no individual taking responsibility. It's just sort of a general. Um, uh, receptacle for for uh, for blame and bad feeling. I mean, Brendan Rodgers himself seems to be pawning off a lot of stuff on on the transfer committee. I mean, by his actions, by his words, he's almost disassociated himself from a few of the signings. And it's it, what, what we have is here. Here's this weird situation. Maybe uh, we needed to see it put it put into practice before how we were going to realize how it was really going to work. Remember the Liverpool owner saying, "We're going to use the wisdom of crowds." It's this sort of fashionable neoliberal idea you know with the wisdom of crowds will we'll we'll ask a load of people which players we should sign and then sort of use a Ouija board type system and you know that this will lead to better results but actually what it's done is lead to a diffusion of responsibility where nobody nobody wants to take responsibility for players who have arrived at the club and and flopped and a lot of players flop initially they need a bit of support but there's nobody there to give them that support everyone's wondering why am I here? Who brought me here? Does the manager want me? Um, the fans aren't sure whether the manager has confidence in the players. It's it's actually turned into a complete disaster. Um, yeah, I, the, the evidence so far is not fantastic, is it? Because Liverpool's better players tend to be players that were around before um, the transfer committee ever started its session. Um, I think if we're looking at any successes, we see only Daniel Sturridge. And I do believe that there was some dispute over whether he would be signed uh, between Rodgers and the transfer committee. Well, the story is uh, Rodgers didn't want to sign him. The first time the opportunity came up, Rodgers turned it down in summer in summer 2012. And then the winter yeah. transfer window, he relented. Yeah. Um, and that's that's been, let's say, Philip Coutinho is another player who I think has been something of a success, though maybe not the player that he looked like he might be and towards the end of that first season there. Um, I think what you've got with a, with a situation like that and what clears, what seems to me at Liverpool is we're in a situation where it's gone a little bit every man for himself. Um, Rodgers is fighting for his own reputation, possibly his own job. I don't actually think that. Uh, that that may happen towards the end of this season, not at the at present. Uh, you've got the owners FSG who uh, have passed on responsibility to the transfer committee, uh, and you've got some of the players. I would imagine uh, have their own agendas. Uh, we certainly know that some of them have their own agendas, and it's uh, at the point where they don't wish to be scarred by what's going on at the club. Unhappy club at the moment, Liverpool. Um, and that's a huge contrast to the sense of togetherness that you got if you visited the club back in April. Manchester United, a very happy club over the last few weeks. Are they getting a little bit too happy, though? Is a bit of giddiness creeping in there? Ole Gunnar Solskjaer speaking on TV yesterday saying that we're a club that challenges for titles. And forget about this talk of Champions League qualification, and it seems like a lot of supporters are getting excited. But could Man United possibly challenge for the league this year, given that they, it seems to me, they struggle to get the ball from the centre half to the centre midfielder without giving away a guilt-edge opportunity. Well, that's it. I mean, one person who doesn't seem to be getting too giddy is Louis van Gaal, (laughs) which is, I think that's probably a good thing. Um, 
It's 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 obvious whenever you watch a Manchester United problem a team where the problems lie, um, and that's in that they they seem so lacking in cohesion when they play together. Um, and you would think that a decent team uh, would create problems for them. Uh, the run of six matches that they've had have not been particularly arduous. The Christmas schedule itself, I mean, it's Newcastle, uh, I, I know there's a game at Stoke as well, uh, Aston Villa next weekend. That's not particularly arduous as well. They're, they're, pick it, they're in a position to pick up points. Um we are waiting for the great Louis van Gaal Manchester United performance. That's probably going to have to come in a game against Manchester City and Chelsea, probably, uh, if they are to win the league. He's already having to play down suggestions that they can win the league, uh, such as the the way of questioning journalists at a point like that. Um, he's not happy himself. He says that he thinks that they give the ball away too easily. That's quite obvious from when you watch the team. Um but United is a happier place. And I suppose if you contrast that back to Liverpool, football, in, in essence, is so simple. Good results mean that everybody's happy. Yeah, yeah, you certainly get that sense at Old Trafford. Just lastly on that, the, a lot of the signings that Van Gaal made during the summer have, through no fault of his really, but have picked up injuries and haven't been totally involved. Even, I mean, there were, there's a couple of guys out long term and even yesterday Herrera comes on as a sub, uh, Falcao comes on as a sub. The guys making the impact are, are, are Van Persie and Rooney and these players who are already there. And in particular, David De Gea, who we mentioned earlier on, is the biggest issue now for United just to make sure that they do whatever they can to ward off Real Madrid's interest in their goalkeeper. Yes, absolutely. I think that's going to be the overriding transfer storyline for, well, his David Hayes' contract is up at the end of next season. Uh, you get to this summer and he hasn't signed a deal, then you get into some kind of witching hour over whether he can be tempted to Spain. I mean, the issue with De Gea is that um, while he enjoys life in Manchester, I'm told, uh, his girlfriend is over in Spain. Uh, he's very much a Madrid man. Um He's enjoying his football here, but you know, if, if you are a Spanish player, you want to play for the biggest Spanish clubs. And as we've seen with other players, you know, Luis Suarez, I suppose, would be the most recent example. The best players go to Spanish football, and that's where he's going to end up. It's just whether United can tempt him to stay for longer than what, what may be just till the end of the season. Um, Van Gaal got very angry when asked about that particular. Uh, line yesterday um, and had a round with a journalist about it which was which was fun to watch though not so fun for me because I was next to this journalist and he was glaring in my general direction um, I do think that the De Gea situation is something that I mean there was a story last week that came out where obviously they're going to offer him a big deal um, but uh the other side of it is that I think De Gea's agent these days is George Mendes, who United have a relationship with from the Ronaldo years uh, and also with Falcao. You're going to have some chicanery there yeah. because Falcao, it's not really worked out. You get De Gea um, and Falcao in a job lot. That could be really expensive. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the De Gea contract is going to be expensive, but um, Falcao is going to cost £50 million. Pounds. Um, yeah. So do you really pay £50 million to keep your goalkeeper? Mm, He's I'm a very sure good goalkeeper. That. All right, listen, John, great to talk to you as always. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. Yeah, it's funny that uh, Van Gaal will be getting annoyed with the journalists over that line of questioning. I mean, De Gea, I suppose it's not that, it's not that surprising that Van Gaal gets annoyed with the journalists from time to time, and that could happen increasingly as the, as the years go on in England. But the, um, the line of questioning is fair enough. If a guy is out of contract in 18 months and is a Spanish man who has been given a chance to go to Real Madrid. I think it's pretty reasonable to ask what the club are doing to keep him, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely, it's a question that everyone, everyone wants asked. Um, and, okay, Van Hal said, look, it's not, it's no, Van Hal's answer is essentially, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. Well, I suppose it's technically maybe it isn't, but I mean, nothing that happens at the club no. is anyone's business. I'm a journalist. My job is to pry into other people's <laughs> business. I mean, there's millions of people who, according to you, according to Richard Arnold, your uh, you know a sort of boss. Uh, there's a billion people out there who want to know the answer to this question. Yeah. Um, 
is David De Gea going to be given a new contract by Manchester United or will he join Real Madrid like all the other top players in the Premier will he, League? Will he almost inevitably join Real Madrid? Well, it's, it's, it does look like a difficult one on the face of it, really, for, for Manchester United. I mean, the guy is, is um, from Madrid. His whole family are there. Presumably, most of his social circle is there. Real Madrid, if they want him, it's going to be a, an attractive offer for him. The, the only thing, I suppose, in their favour is the fact that he was at Atletico Madrid. I don't know if he's an Atletico Madrid supporter. Maybe he, maybe he's got a loathing of Real Madrid. Maybe he, he doesn't really like them. Um, that's a thin basis to, to on which to base. You're going to have to essentially hand over a lot of money to George Mendes to make this happen. Let's stick with this subject, or at least the goalkeeping theme, with Jonathan Wilson, who's written a book on this subject, The Outsider History of the Goalkeeper. Jonathan, the point was raised by Gary Neville about uh, one particular chance that uh, Sterling had against um, against the Hay. It was one of the second half when I think he intercepted a, an under-hit back pass. Looked like it was quite an easy finish in that he just had to send the goalkeeper one way, round him and knock it in. Unfortunately for Sterling, it was read really well by De Gea who made the save ultimately with his foot. The point raised by Neville anyway was, is that this is what great goalkeepers do. They control the one-on-ones. They set the agenda when a striker is coming through. Is he right, do you think? Or is this mainly just a question of not jumping out of the way as Brad Jones did? Yeah, I think jumping out of the way is always a, a pretty bad idea. Um, no, but I, 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 I mean, I think what Gary Neville says is absolutely right. And he obviously played with Peter Schneichel, who was, who was brilliant at that, that... Uh, the one-on-one, it's, it's not just to do with agility or reflexes. It, it's to do with sort of the the presence you project. And De Gea seems very, very good at that. That um, you know, I saw a lot of people on Twitter sort of saying, oh, well, it was Sterling, you know, bad misses rather than good goalkeeping from De Gea. But the truth is he's been doing that all season. You know, he did that at Southampton. He did that against Arsenal a couple of times. He, he's developed this capacity to encourage forwards to hit the ball at him. And that's probably to do with his positioning, that you know, he never gives them an easy, an easy option, an easy angle. Uh, but it's partly just to do with, with the way he sort of projects himself. And that, that, I mean, that is something that I think Schmeichel was the best I've ever seen at that. But De Gea, in a slightly different way, I mean, he's, he's obviously a different builder, sort of taller, thinner man, but he, he's exceptionally good at that. Yeah, I mean, what about the the other? I mean, there was obviously United goalkeeper got man of the match, and he was the, the big talking point. But there was the the Liverpool goalkeeper was also a interesting situation in this game, where Brendan Rodgers took the decision to get rid of to to dump Simon Minya. Like Minya, who just actually kept two clean sheets in his last three uh, league matches, which is a pretty sensational run by the standards of Liverpool this season. And Rodgers obviously put Brad Jones in. Uh, and he used phrases like uh, taking him out of the firing line, giving him time to reflect, uh, with the rest doing him the world of good. Has this ever worked? Yeah, I think it has. I think it worked with Joe Hart last season. Um, I think it's... You know, I mean, there's, a, there's a problem with goalkeepers that... Um, yeah, I think all players at some point need a rest. That they, Whether it's physical, whether it's mental... They, you know, things are going against you, things are going badly, and you get in a lot of bad form, and the way you break that is to take a step back, refresh yourself, you know, maybe focus on, on basics again, or you know, work on some specific thing in training, and, and then you come back. Now, for an outfielder, that's quite an easy process, because you tend to have other players you can slot in, and it's not really a big deal if, you know, if, a, if a fullback misses out or if a midfielder misses out. As soon as the goalkeeper's left out, it's suddenly a big story. Um, and, and you know, that, that was the case with Hart last season, but I think he did come back refreshed. Uh, I think the slightly strange thing with, with Minolay is, uh, you know, as you say, the, the timing of it, that it, it's come when he actually seemed to be playing OK. And may, maybe the time to do it was a couple of weeks ago uh, when there were a couple of simpler league games coming up. I mean, from Brad Jones' point of view, that's a massive game suddenly to be chucked in for, a game where you know you're going to be very involved. Uh, and a game where you really want that interaction between your goalkeeper and your defence to be as strong as possible, and, and, and that communication comes through practice, which Brad Jones clearly can't have had. What is your view on what's happened to Mignolet? I mean, he was a goalkeeper for Euro team, Sunderland, for uh, for some time. And in fairness to him, did really well for Sunderland. I mean, that's why he ended up being signed for, what, nearly £10 million, I think, by Liverpool. And uh, he just doesn't seem to be able to do anything right. I mean, it's amazing the meltdown that, that he's experienced. Yeah, I mean, he, he was very good for Sunderland, I, I, um, but maybe maybe Sunderland is his level. That um, he, he always had a mistake in him. I mean, I guess most goalkeepers do, but yeah, he was always prone to two or three bad hours a season. But by and large, yeah, he, he was 
he, he was very good for Sunderland and you know very good shot stopper. Um, I guess the problem is with with goalkeepers that when the confidence goes, it, it really goes, and, and you can't get away with a couple of mistakes at a club like Liverpool, where everything's under scrutiny and and, and where that's going to be replayed all week, and that then you know, has a knock-on effect that the confidence is eroded further. Um, I, I, the same thing that baffles me slightly with with Minelay is that um, I, I think I'm going to say until he was actually quite old, he was sort of 15, 16. He, he was an outfield player, and then he he went in goal very late. So you'd think he'd be good with his feet, and yeah, he's actually pretty hopeless with his feet. So, I mean, it's odd that he's not not better uh, at coping with, with balls on the ground. But it's also strange that Rodgers, whose whose whole way of playing you would think would need a goalkeeper who can pass the ball comfortably, as Pepe Reina can. Um, I'm not. You know, Lane never quite seemed a natural fit, fit for that. Even though I actually thought that he was, you know, in terms of stopping shots, he was he was. Yeah, you know, perfectly good for Liverpool's level, and probably need to step up from from Sunderland. Maybe it turns out Liverpool is a level too far. But I also just think that the style of Liverpool doesn't quite fit with the style of Minnelli. Yeah, no, it's a, a fair point, John. The other thing we wanted to ask you about was the Champions League draw, which has been made today, and pits Manchester City against Barcelona. I know you feel that City might have turned a corner here in Europe this season. Well, I just think there are, there are moments in in uh, in football where irrational things, or you have, the uh, big events turn on irrational moments. Um, and I, I, you know, City were, were pretty hopeless for 445 minutes of of this Champions League group stage, and for 95 minutes they were really, really good. The last five minutes against Bayern Munich when they came from 2-1 behind to, to win 3-2, and then they were, they were, I thought they were very, very good in Rome. They controlled that game, won it 2-0 in a game that they, yeah, they, they really needed to win. Um, so I, I wonder if you know, sort of, if you look back at how they were sort of thrashing about, desperately sort of trying to find a way of playing, trying, trying to find a role. The two things off against Seska, and, and you know fans sort of saying, "Oh, we're not really sort of we don't really like this competition. We're, we're booing UEFA. We feel sort of it's not really for us." And I wonder whether in that last ninety-five minutes, there's suddenly been this sort of um, a sensation of actually we we can do it. And you know, there's a slightly strange feeling before that Bayern game. I, I remember there was a, a discussion in the press room before the game saying. There is this oddity that City haven't really had a defining performance in you know in four years of playing in the Champions League. They haven't had the sort of game that even sort of Tottenham had had when they when they beat Inter at White Hart Lane. The sort of match that you'd you'd always remember that'd be written in the history of the club. City hadn't had that. Now that Bayern game might become one of those. It wasn't at the time because Bayern you know down to men for a long time, a slightly weakened side, were already through. But the fact that then led to the two 0 win in Rome. Maybe that has sort of it's opened a way they can see a way forward, and I think this Barcelona are are vulnerable against good sides. I mean, that, you know, obviously phenomenal forward line, but I still think there are a major defensive issues with Barcelona, and certainly if Aguero's back, I think I think City could win that. Yeah, I mean Aguero though is only one uh, is only one guy. I mean, if if as you say he's actually fit, um, he's going to be up against a team that has. I mean, if he's one of the best South American strikers, the Barcelona team at the moment has got arguably the three best strikers in South America. I mean, I don't see how this team, if they manage to work out a way of playing, can really be stopped. It's the most ridiculous forward line I think I've ever seen in football. Well, that's sort of that's one of the great beauties of football, though, isn't it? That there is that internal balance, and you you can't just accumulate players at one end of the pitch. And I, I don't think I don't think Barcelona have a clue how to use them properly. I, you know, I, I, th- I think the fact that uh, Luis Enrique tried a three at the back against PSG last week that was you know uh, an experiment to see if, if if that was another way of playing. Um, and that actually playing playing with uh, the three at the back seemed to get the best out of Mascherano, who was sitting just in front of the back three. And I think there, there were in that system signs of of. Um, that that might be the future. The problem was it left them very vulnerable down the flanks. So you imagine somebody like Jesus Navas or David Silva starting from wide on the other side, getting a load of joy if they went with the back three. So I think there's, I think it's almost impossible with that Barcelona squad if you're going to play all three forwards, which clearly they will if they're all fit. It's almost impossible not to leave defensive holes. All right, Jonathan, brilliant stuff. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. That's a good point, Jonathan raised about the style of goalkeeper that Liverpool wants. I mean, Brendan Rodgers seems to change his opinion every couple of months about what his football philosophy is. And he even said before this game, oh, well, you know, we had to give up. We, the football philosophy brought us a long way last year, but then we lost some matches. So this year we had to try a new, 
a new way of doing it for a few games. Now I'm going back to the football philosophy. But if he genuinely did and does believe that the best way to play football is by passing the ball, by keeping the ball, a Victor Valdez type goalkeeper is the guy you need there, really. Mm. Or even maybe a Pepe Reina style goalkeeper. <laughs> Somebody who can use the ball reasonably well. And he doesn't seem to have, I don't know how good Brad Jones is at that, but certainly it's not Mignolet's greatest strength. No, it's not Mignolet's greatest strength. But, you know, I think Mignolet will always be a better goalkeeper than Brad Jones. Um, so why is he not playing? And it's not just, he's said it since, Rogers. this is for the next next little while. For an indefinite period. Indefinite so period, he didn't yeah. So he didn't give a, an end date. I mean, an indefinite period could mean Mignolet's back for the next game, which is on True. Wednesday. Um, or, you know, uh, maybe not. I mean, the only rationale for it, I think, that I can see is that Rogers is saying, to the, it's a bit like the kind of thing Harry Redknapp sometimes does coming up to a transfer window. He makes a, an outlandish selection in the hope of communicating a message to the board. And I always wonder why he doesn't just send him a text message or, or, or make a phone call, you know, but maybe I suppose it's a way of dragging it into the public. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, if, and if the, the crisis is, is that stark, if, if Liverpool don't have to select a man who jumps out of the way of the ball or is easily dummied by movements of the ball at the edge of the penalty Yeah, area. it was the second goal in particular. He got a lot of criticism for the first goal for diving too early when Rooney was about to shoot. I kind of thought that was essentially a one-on-one situation. I mean, there were other players around, but that really was, Rooney was coming in at full steam, was obviously going to shoot, hmm. and maybe a goalkeeper has to pick a side. The second one, was it Mata who, who dummied the pass, a dummy to shoot, and then... Yeah. Term, and then rolled it back the other side to Van Persie. And by the time it got to Van Persie, oh, poor old Brad Jones. Was, there, was no, there was no need for a dive that time. There would have been plenty of time to actually reach a ball had a shot been unleashed. No, he he, he sort of went over on his knee. Um, he, he, he lost his balance slightly and ended up over on his knee and then had to get up. And obviously, Ron Van Persie isn't going to give you quite that much time. I mean, maybe Van Persie might have, might have sportingly allowed Jones to get back into position, but he just knocked it in quite cynically into the open <laughs> into the open goal that had been presented. Quite ruthless. Is it true that when Man United kicked the ball off at the start of one of the halves that Brad Jones dived to save a shot? Look, I don't know, Owen, because I didn't see it on the camera. But you know, if it is if it is a message to the board, if it is a message to the board type thing from Brendan Rodgers. That's another. That's another sort of dangerous game to get into. I mean, I'm not saying necessarily is, but that, that's the only rationale I can make of it. Again, remember what we were saying about Villas Boas and his uh, relations with the board at Tottenham. You know, it got a little bit fractious. And if you get to the point where you're where you're using the you're sending signals in public by making kind of selections like that. Then again, I don't think it's it shows a good underlying situation. That's it for the football podcast for today. We have another show coming out a little bit later on this afternoon, and that will feature the new middleweight champion of the world, Andy Lee, who uh, won the world title on Saturday night, early hours of Sunday morning in Vegas, knocking out or at least stopping uh, Matt Karaboff, who's in no position to defend himself. Unbelievable stuff from Andy Lee, one of our favourite sports people. So looking forward to having that chat with him a little bit later on. You can get that in all the uh, by all the usual means, whatever way you're listening to this show, iTunes. Uh, you can get it on uh, on SoundCloud. Get on to irishtimes.com forward slash, forward slash second captains. In the meantime, thank you, Ken. Thank you too, Anne. Thanks for listening to the football show and we'll talk to you again later. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. <laughs>